Hey everyone, John here. Just a quick word of warning. Uh, we will be spoiling this film in its entirety, so if you have not seen this film and you don't want it spoiled for you, uh, just hit pause real quick and go and watch the movie and then come back and enjoy the show. So you have a boyfriend? No offense or anything, but I always thought you were a no-dating-till-college type girl. His name is Peter. And he wouldn't even be dating Lara Jean if it wasn't for me, because he didn't even know she existed. But I mailed out a secret love letter that she wrote for him. Well, technically, she wrote five. Anyway, they started fake dating to make his ex-girlfriend jealous and to cover up her real crush, but then everything got all weird and they started real dating. And now they're real boyfriend and real girlfriend, and they are adorable. Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of Surviving Chick Flicks. I'm John. And I'm Sammy. Alright, Sammy, I got a controversial statement to say. Okay. If I see one more fucking snowflake, I'm going to scream. (laughs) (laughs) Aww. (sighs) (laughs) Like, I love winter. I hate summer. Like, I, even though a the week we just went through, I am still dreading summer, or, you know, because I don't like sweat. I mean, it's it's February. I have a fan going where I'm recording. <laughs> I had I actually had a fan on a lot during last week too, but oh, I did. Too. Just, <laughs> there's just something good about that balance of the heater going, and then once you get hot, just turn the fan on. And it's fine, but I, I was trapped in my apartment from Sunday to I, I did venture out in on Thursday and fell in the middle of the road but only the one time well that's good yeah and then I, I did finally like really leave the apartment on like Saturday and like saw other human beings which I know we're still in the middle of a pandemic but it was worth the other risk to my health just to see another person so uh, how did uh, you uh... Uh, you know it was it was an experience I'm with you I came to the conclusion and I posted it on Facebook that I agree with you I love the winter fall winter is my favorite season I am not good in the heat like anything above 70 degrees 70 degrees is just it's not Wrong. for me. Yeah. But Texas is not equipped to handle this. And no. I didn't, I don't like living in a constant state of fear of power or water or any of that. So I did make the decision that if um, Snowmageddon, the sequel, decides mm-hmm. to happen um, before all of this is said and done, I'm hopping a plane to Florida. I don't know if I got to go on someone's I... like checked luggage or something, but I will find a way. Well, yeah, technically, this was the sequel. Because <laughs> well, we had true, the snowstorm. Not as bad. That's true. Well, this was the sequel, the follow up, where, where, you know, they upped the stakes. And uh, then yeah, the third, 
And then the third one, as most part threes tend to be, is usually just kind of a disappointment altogether. <laughs> so, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, I mean, we were very fortunate. I will say that one thing that came out of this is that we discovered that we could actually live with our heater at only comfortably at only 66 or 67 degrees and mm-hmm. that could save a ton of energy nice yeah i i will uh, and my one positive about the uh, snowstorm is that it was a, enough of a distraction that i didn't just yell about the rock and roll hall of fame nominations uh that got announced on social media there you um, go yeah iron maiden is up for Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, never going to happen, but it's nice that they're pretending to throw us this little bone. <laughs> I, I nearly renewed my series subscription so I could hear Eddie Trunk yell about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and then I'm like, I already know the rant. I've heard this rant every year. I, I'm just moving on. And I will say, it, it was, you know, it's kind of funny to say this in the midst of a pandemic. Um, um. But I'm just not one of those people that gets terribly upset by being stuck at home. So. It, honestly, it, I'm fine for the first three days. And then by day four, I'm like, I because, you know, during the, you know, during the pandemic, when it wasn't iced over, I at least had the opportunity to mask up and go somewhere, grab something to eat and just see another room for a moment. And. Right. And I was trapped, like, um, and even though it started warming up towards the end of the week because the temperatures got down to, um, is there a level below disrespectful? I think it was, isn't that blasphemous? It was blasphemously cold. (laughs) And it it was literally just not safe to get out and, you know. The one time I did, I fell. And then Aww. the next time I did, I nearly fell. I mean, I didn't get hurt. It was just like, like of course, it was, you know, going to happen. And it was going to happen in the street, not the sidewalk. But I was going, uh, what was cool is one of our local restaurants downtown, uh, Culture ETX, was, uh, you know, they were without power at home and... Because, you know, we were still, at the time of recording, under a boil water notice. So they couldn't really do a whole lot, and they weren't getting shipments. But they were like, we do have some stuff at the, at the restaurant. So they just decided to make stew for anyone oh, that wanted it. Cool. You, yeah, the, and they had uh, water they boiled to make sure it was clean. So if you needed water and a meal, you could just bring a container by and get some. And Aww. Yeah, it's uh it was definitely it was definitely an experience, but I I feel the same way. I mean, I can last about a week. Mm-hmm. Right? Before I mean, I got I have to get out and do something like shop or just anything. But the other yeah. silver lining was I officially finished the course I need I needed to finish to get licensed in the state of Texas. So Yay. Yes. So that's done. Awesome. Um, my the highlight of my week prior to falling on the way to get stew, uh, I tried vegan chicken nuggets for the first time. And that how was were an they? Experience. 
Okay, I'm actually going to blame my uh, dislike of them on me and not the product because I baked them in a toaster oven. And I think, and so they were kind of a little bit on the soggy side. And I think I over salted them. And so maybe the next time I try it, actually just try to fry them in oil on the stove. Cause, and, you know, I did what the bag said in terms of recommend recommendations because it also said don't dry these out you know don't cook them too long and so i think it, they would have done better had i cooked them a little longer than i did but flavor wise i mean i've had better i've had worse well, that's... in terms of real chicken like i'd probably eat them again before like a wendy's nugget well that's good to know thank you for the review yeah um also, as another silver lining to this week, this week has lots of silver linings. We watched this mm-hmm. movie that we're avoiding talking about because I have a feeling about how you feel about it. <laughs> well, I got I got two more silver linings uh, before we get into this movie that I'm not at all avoiding talking about. Um, I sent you a couple of trailers, the trailers for Cruella and Mortal Kombat the new Mortal Kombat dropped, and I was just like, we have to talk about these. <laughs> Alrighty. Alright. So, yes, I did watch um, them. Alright, so let's get to the one that's not a chick flick at all, unless I can really stretch Sonya Blade into, uh, Sonya into a, a major character, <laughs> uh, Mortal Kombat. Um, so, uh, allow me to revert to being a 12-year-old boy again. Uh, I was excited for this, and uh, after the mediocre original movie and the god-awful It Doesn't Exist, Tommy Wiseau could have done a better job sequel. Oh, God. Um, Yeah. You know what a sci-fi channel uh, movie looks like in terms of uh, budget and things like that? Well, all right. Imagine a Lifetime movie if they CGI'd like a robot spider or something into it. All right, now picture that, but like as released theatrically by a major studio. <laughs> and with like no, like only one returning cast member. And it was, it's one of the literal worst movies ever made. Um, but the new one looks like they're finally doing it right because they're going R-rated, which only makes sense considering it was a fighting game where we all learned how to do fatalities. So, I mean, I'd like to argue with the comparison to The Room because I feel like that is just an insult no other movie deserves. Uh, but <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, I, the, the preview is interesting, but I have like whatever is less than zero knowledge about Mortal Kombat. Uh, yeah, is where I'm at. So, okay. Um, basically, what you need to know about Mortal Kombat is there's a tournament, and people fight in it, um, and the fate of the world is held in the hands of the winner. So you hope someone good wins. So a completely original storyline. Got it. Yeah. Well, and the games only barely had a story in them because they're really about fighting. So. We kind of, everyone that's made a movie about it or an animated TV series or a web series or a, uh, you know, so and so on and so forth has basically just kind of had to pull them, 
mytho- you know, what little mythology was there was, and uh, try to pull a story out of their ass. And even though, like, I couldn't tell you a single person that's in this movie, it looks great, and the consensus on the internet is the movie might be good, but we really just want to watch Sub-Zero and Scorpion fight for two hours. <laughs> That's that's really all we want. Well, but I mean, the, the trailer uh, did make it look interesting, but that's about all I can say. Yeah, I'm gonna have to send you clips from Mortal Kombat Annihilation, and whenever I say Tommy Wiseau made a better looking movie, I I literally mean that. That is, that's not even opinion anymore. That's just fact. So, but the other trailer, uh, I have a feeling we're gonna end up talking about this movie on the show. Uh, when it comes out in in whatever capacity, because as of right now, I still think Disney's planning on going theatrical with this. So wear your masks, people, and maybe we can see this in the theater. But Cruella. Yeah, so here's the thing. I think it looks really good. And it's it's possible... That it could be really well done, and I would actually like it because I, I'm gonna put it in this context. So, Jungle Book was not one of my favorite Disney movies. Like when I was a kid mm-hmm. growing up, I liked it and all, but it wasn't one of my like I want to watch this all the time. It's the greatest. I was a uh, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King. Those were my movies. Mm-hmm. Mulan. I wasn't that into Jungle Book, but I loved the live-action version of Jungle Book. I thought it was really good and really well Same. done. And this would be I'm, in a I'm similar place, step- but just starting lower on the totem pole. I have z- almost zero interest in 101 Dalmatians. Like, it was... Maybe I yeah. saw it once or twice. Um, I know that the live-action um, 101 Dalmatians with Glenn Close is Cruella de Vil. Uh, is pretty well beloved, but um, I was never a fan of that either. Of okay, I'm just gonna be straight up. I'm lukewarm on Disney, like the classics, the animated classics. I'm lukewarm on like some I love, and the rest I could take or leap. I because growing up, my cartoons I liked. Looney Tunes. I like the Warner Brothers stuff because they were darker and more violent. And, you know, like I like I like Daffy Duck more than Donald Duck. But you know, I do like a lot of Disney properties, and I love the Jungle Book. I actually d- do not like the animated version at all, but I love the Favreau version. And the less we say about the Favreau Lion King, the better. You know. That's I understand that's very controversial, and I went into that. That was a tough one for me, because The Lion King is, I mean, it really fights. It spars with Beauty and the Beast for my favorite Disney movie. I adore The Lion King, and to this day, it's something I will still watch on occasion. Um, yeah. But it, it, I didn't think it was bad. I did not think they did a bad job. I enjoyed watching it. I thought it was a fun watch, but they took they took some of the best stuff from it and they left it out. Yeah. And I think that if they had stayed truer to the original, it it would have ended up being more successful and I think it would have ended up better. It's the reason I haven't seen Mulan yet. 
like I want to see Mulan, but one of the best things about that movie was the music, and they took out the music. Neil, well, the reason I was halfway interested in the new Mulan, which I also haven't seen, is because they were turning it into this giant, like, action epic, which I think is what that story needed to be. Like, I don't think, I think they they approached it right in terms of not being a musical and not having a, you know, talking dragon as a sidekick. In terms of a live-action Mulan. But from pretty much the majority of the consensus, they still didn't do it, do that right. So, uh, I mean, I, granted, I probably will see it, but I'm just frustrated because I love the music from that film. Yeah. I've never seen either version of Mulan, so... It's going to be something we do on the show one day. <laughs> But back to Cruella, um, I was ex- like, I don't give a shit about 101 Dalmatians, but I read a while back whenever they were putting this together, you're taking Emma Stone and putting her in a punk rock, their words, not mine, prequel about Cruella DeVille on how she became who she is and have it directed from the guy who made I, Tanya. I was 100% in. And having watched the trailer, I think it's good, but it wasn't what I was hoping for, if that makes sense. It it looks like the best comparison I could make is Disney's Joker. Like, a lot of it looks like they were trying to ape the, the standalone Joker movie, but as a Disney film. And that's yeah, I weird. Could see that. yeah. yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah. But we'll, uh, I, I, if, depending on how the release goes, I'm sure we're going to be talking about it because I, I, there is this part of me that would love this show to be entirely all new movies. Yeah. You know, ones that neither of us have seen. But unfortunately, with the state of the world and, you know, cost effectiveness is just not always feasible. So, but Look, we'll do the new ones as we can. I don't know if we can both agree on this, but as interesting as those trailers were, like neither one of them get me as excited as the Batman trailer I saw for the first mm-hmm. time not that long ago because for some reason I had no idea to come out. And I don't know anything about when it's supposed to be released, but if it is not a theatrical release, I want a petition to cancel 2021. Okay. Uh, well, it's a 2022 release now because there, um, our pats did get COVID during the shoot, so they had to shut down a lot because of COVID. But So they're aiming for a 2022 release. Well, that sucks. Yeah. Hopefully by then, they will... Be theatrical. I mean, they'll they'll be just theatrical, but it's Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers right now is at least whenever one of their major releases is ready uh, to be released. I mean, the theaters that are open will get it, but also it's available on HBO Max. 
So it's yeah, not like but we're that's not one of those movies to me that's just it's worth the money to go see it in the theater for the experience. Yeah, it's on that short list of uh, films that this is going to be gross, but COVID nineteen could be visibly dripping from the ceiling, and I'm still going to go to a theater to see Dune. <laughs> that's gross. <laughs> so. I'm, so I'm going to add Batman to that list. Like, I will risk my health, my life, and other people's health in my life and lives <laughs> to see Dune and the Batman on the biggest possible screens. <laughs> oh my god! But you know what? I don't. What I'm not. What I didn't risk life nor limb uh, to watch. This to movie. all the boys. P.S. <laughs> I love you. Finally getting to the point of the episode. Okay, yeah, you know what? I'm not even going to argue with you on that one because the movie, despite my personal opinion on the movie, definitely not worth risking your life for. <laughs> oh, God, if I had, you know, there would have been some, some retribution <laughs> at some point. So, um, so, just for some context for our listeners. So when we're recording this, the third uh, in the trilogy, so to all the boys I've loved before, always and forever, has officially come out, and I have seen it, and John has not. But uh, we will be doing that one also, which is the final installment. It will be over for John. But I, I, I granted, think we're doing I, it in two weeks, right? Yeah, I think it was better than this one. Like rewatching this this movie to me it might have been the weakest of the three. Um, I'm. I, not 100% confident in that, but um, I do think the third one was better. All right. Well, we'll save that argument for when we get to the third one. But for what, right now, why don't we play the trailer for the second one so we can start this argument? Oh, gosh. So who's this guy you're dating? His name is Peter, and he and Large Human would be together if it wasn't for me. Because he didn't even know she existed. But I mailed out a secret love letter she wrote for him. Can I talk to you? Technically, she wrote five. Anyway, he started fake dating to make his ex-girlfriend jealous. She went nuts. And cover up Large Human's real crush. And then everything got all weird, and they started real dating on their totally real girlfriend and real boyfriend, and they are adorable. That's cool, actually. Hey. Hi. Say it out loud with me. 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock, like always. Have fun. Not too much fun. Oh. I think this is from the real soccer team. <laughs> Sometimes I wish my boyfriend was more anonymous. Heavy's the head that wears the crown. Nope. That's your crown. Oh, no, no, no. This is all you, boo I don't want This it. is all you. I don't you. want it, though. That's for you. John Ambrose McLaren. Oh my God. Dear Laura Jean, I couldn't believe when I opened that letter and it was from you. It's been what, five years? Hi. What is going on in that head of yours? Remember when you asked me who got the other love letters and I said someone from Model UN? He's actually volunteering with me. Thought I saw you. I'm gonna need that letter back. I need proof that someone actually liked me in middle school. <laughs> Everyone liked you in middle school. I didn't care about everyone. Why did I write these stupid love letters? I think it's exciting. I have a boyfriend. Almost every one of my love affairs overlapped with another one. Nobody compares to you. I thought having a boyfriend meant the idea of other boys left your mind completely. 
I didn't want to be thinking about what might have been, but I was. I can stick around and help clean up. No, no I think I can help my girlfriend clean up. I miss you, Mom. I wish you could tell me what to do. No. I wanted happily ever after. But we're still at the beginning. Nobody compares to you. To all the boys, P.S. I Still Love You, starring Lana Condor, Noah Centino, Jordan Fisher, Anna Cathcart. Janelle Parrish, Ross Butler, Madeline Arthur, and the girl that plays Jen, because I cannot pronounce her name, with John Corbett, Sarayu Blue, and Holland Taylor, based on the series of novels by Jenny Han and directed by Michael Viminari. Uh, so tangent not that we didn't just go on one i was gonna say i hear the the like despair in your voice okay so um real quick talking about another podcast i listened to uh called now playing presents which tackles film franchises like they've done all the freddy movies all the halloween movies all the dc and marvel universe movies um the, one of the hosts, Stuart, he's more of the art house guy, and every time one of these comic book movies comes out and that he's forced to, you know, go see, he's basically kicking and screaming. I've never understood Stuart's position more than having to come back to the two all the boys I love uh, universe. Uh, so that's not necessarily or is totally telling of my feelings, but I'm not going to lie. I went into this movie kind of kicking and screaming. I put it off to the last possible minute, just in case we recorded yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me ask you this for just like a Mm -hmm. little bit of comparison. Was it more painful going back to, and I, I I will try not to be offended by this because I have Mm -hmm. my own personal feelings. Was it more difficult coming back to this franchise or coming back to the 50 shades of gray storyline i don't know if i can answer that because i went into 50 shades the first time as a joke because um at the time i was writing for projectshanks.com and i was the kind of entertainment guy because (laughs) Stucky knew I wasn't covering sports. That would that would be that would be craziness. Uh, so it was kind of like an East Texas version of the Ringer. Uh, so I told Stucky, you know what? I'm gonna go review Fifty Shades just for shits and giggles. And I saw that movie at like 9 a.m. on a Sunday in a fairly packed theater of women that should have been in church. <laughs> <laughs> It's like I want to scream like y'all need Jesus. I'm here for a different reason. Um, I'm I'm going to pay this film an early compliment. As much as this franchise as I've seen two thirds of it 
loves to kind of wallow in a lot of cliche. I think I would... I don't know if I can finish this sentence, but I'm going to try. I think I could possibly revisit this series a lot more easily than Fifty Shades. That's not a high bar, though. Just remember. No, I'm aware of that. (laughs) And I would even argue that potentially... um, I mean, qualitatively, I'm going to be honest. I don't think there's a a lot of difference. (laughs) Because, so for a little bit of a story time, for Galentine's Day, um, some of my friends and I, we we went and we rented out a movie theater. It was just five of us. We could spread out. And we watched the third Fifty Shades of Grey and it just was a Hold on, why the me. third one? Well, because we either wanted to watch the first or the third. And we I think we we had all seen them. So we wanted to watch the first or the third, and we just decided to watch the third um, instead of the first one, just because it was the conclusion, it has a happy ending, yada, yada, yada. Um, and it was just a reminder to me of... Their, it, it's one of those movies, it's, it's fun to watch with my friends and fun to make fun of. The writing is terrible. The writing is terrible. The storyline isn't great. It is painful to watch actors in a movie that it is clear they don't want to be acting in. Yeah. I mean, they have like a modicum of chemistry because it's it's obvious they made an effort. But at least with this movie, it looks like everybody's having fun in this series, yeah. right? The people there genuinely want to be there. And I would even argue some of the writing is better. Well, and... I'm going to argue on the defense of Fifty Shades. The writing is bad because the source material is bad. Yeah, and that's what I people mean. That, like, and the people that make it are just doing the best they can with what they were given. I can't. I, I can either of us because I know I can't. Can you even speak to the quality of the P.S. I Love You or the To All the Boys books? No, but I do want to. Uh, I do want to read them. Yeah, because there, there, there may be some unanswerable questions without reading those books. Right, but I mean, and I agree with you, and it, it seems to me people always screw up the source material because with Fifty Shades, it's like the reverse, right? The books are there, but I almost think the books are worse than the movie. I think the movie does the best it can with terrible source material. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, when your favorite author, no shade to Stephanie Meyer, because actually I like Stephanie Meyer, but when your role model for a writer is Stephanie Meyer and you got this idea, the genesis of this concept was Twilight fan fiction, mm-hmm. you're off to a rough start. Yeah. Like, well, I- and, <laughs> well, and to insult Twilight, um, I don't know how true this is, but most of the Bella, most of this genesis of that story came from a dream that Stephanie Myers had, possibly an erotic dream. I believe that is true. I don't know about the erotic part, but I I do remember her mentioning something in an interview about the the genesis of the story being from a dream. Um, I've heard it. I've heard it was inspired by a wet dream way too many times. Oh God! It's it's going back to scream. It's like you know you only hear that uh, Richard Gere gerbil story before so many times before you start to believe it. So yeah, and I mean that does 
doesn't, because I think Twilight, I'm a Twilight defender. I think it gets a bad rap, um, especially since a few years ago. I went back and I revisited the books. The movies do a very poor job with the source material. Um, and the books, are the books phenomenally well written? No, of course not. They're not like a, a work of art, but they're not as bad as everybody makes them out to be, and they're far better than the movies. Yeah. I, I remember Stephen King kind of took a shot um, at Stephanie Meyer and said the difference between her and J.K. Rowling is that J.K. Rowling can write. And now I would love to know Stephen King's position on this, considering uh, <laughs> J.K. Rowling has now blocked him on Twitter because <laughs> he's uh, gone after her for her anti-trans views. So just kind of curious how Stephen King uh, feels about Stephanie Meyer now. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, I agree in the sense of, well, having, um, <sighs> I, I said what I said, but it, on yeah. the same token, like take it with a grain of salt because I will right. watch the Twilight movies anytime yeah. they're on. Yeah. I am more and, angry. I, I will put it this way. I'm more angry because I actually agree with I agree with the sentiment. Um, I'm more angry with the Harry Potter films because J.K. Rowling is a phenomenal writer. And those books are excellently they're they're really, really well written. The movies did a terrible job. I, 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 yeah, I, but I have to defend the movies and also I not not just specifically the Harry Potter movies. But movies in general that are adapted from books, there are a lot of reasons the books and the movies are different. And a lot of it has to do with time, money, and what works in one medium doesn't may not work better in a in another medium. And also those books are long. So um, I I think I think we're getting to the point now where Audiences could sit through a three and a half hour, you know, film feasibly as long as it's based on a franchise they like. I mean, look at look at Avengers, uh, and now we've got a four hour Justice League uh, coming. So, so I think the mindset is we have to com- we have to take this five hundred page book and condense it down to what will work in two hours. And as someone that has only read three of the Harry Potter books, but seen and owns the um, the good Harry Potter films and not Fantastic Beasts, um, I, I like seeing the the world visually. So they work for me, and I but I get why a lot of the Potterheads are pissed. They're not awful, and I will still watch them, and I do own them all. They're just not – I think this is the context I come at it from. I need – you know that meme with the guy at the table with the sign that says different things, and it'll say, change my mind? hmm Personal opinion, I need one of those tables that say Lord of the Rings and Hunger Games are the best book adaptations to film. That is just my personal opinion. I I will give you one of those. I will not give you the other because, well, I've actually never read any of those books. Uh, just, well, I know I read the first Hunger Games book, but I, I'll die on the hill with you for Lord of the Rings. I Hunger Games is just something I got burned out on 
dystopian <laughs> YA fiction turned into movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, Divergent, and Divergent is pretty good too. Uh, I've seen the, I've seen the three detergent films, and yes, I said detergent. I I. There is this part of my brain that's like I haven't seen the fourth film because the fourth film doesn't exist, and therefore I don't have closure. But at the same time, I'm like, but do I give enough of a shit? <laughs> and the answer is no. I don't. I don't give enough. Of well, a uh, the only thing I like about it that probably makes the originalists and purists feel like really angry is how they mm. ended it is different from how they ended the book. But it's how I will not read the books now because I like the way the movie ended and I know how the book mm. ends and it pisses me off. So uh, this way I can just watch the movies and that's how it ends for me. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of movies coming from books, I think we're here to review. The two old boys sequel, and I—it's slightly telling that neither of us are just jumping to talk about returning to the world of Laura Jean and Peter, uh, who are now a couple after the first film. Which I got a question already. Yeah. How much time has passed between the first film and the second film? Because at the end of the first film. There are a couple, and now they're they're going on their first date. What? I don't think that long has passed. I hope not, but <laughs> I think it's a pretty short period of time. I think it's the same school year. Do you? I do. Okay, because I I wasn't sure because I mean Peter's hair is different. I noticed that, and that's sad that I noticed that but I mean it, it looks like we've moved we've jumped in time even though I, I mean this should be the next day to be honest well like, I mean it's possible that I mean I'm not going to try and read too much into it just because it's it's not that important but I would mm-hmm. say it's possible in the realm of them both having a crap ton to do that maybe it's been a couple weeks Maybe they've hung out, but they haven't gone on, like, a date date like this where they, you know, because this is a nice date. He took her out into the city mm-hmm. and took her to dinner, so. Yeah. Oh, okay, you know what? That's fair that this is their first date, but everything before that was a hang. Yeah. As the kids say. Yeah, you know how those Gen Zers are. Okay, so the whole point of this movie is that Laura Jean has everything she wants. She got a boyfriend. She's happy. And then um, the way the first film ended, there was one letter that remained unanswered. And it was from her model UN friend, John Ambrose, who in kind of the mid-credits sequence suddenly pops up. You know, But this time, he doesn't just pop up at her house. Uh, Laura Jean starts volunteering at an old folks home, which is the nicest old folks home I've ever seen. I made a note of that. Like, this is the old folks home for rich people. (laughs) The exact same note I made. Yes. But let me ask you a question really quick. Um, no, I'm sorry. It's not a question. Um, maybe it's just me, but (laughs) 
especially towards the beginning of this movie, something I do have to be a little critical of is it seems like a lot of the lines are something people say in their heads but shouldn't be said out loud, which I don't know if that's just like a description of Laura Jean's personality. She just says things that (laughs) would be better left unsaid or if it's like a remnants from the book being written from her perspective, which I don't know if it is, but that's just an assumption. It being it, things in her head because when they're at on their first date and they're at dinner and she makes the very awkward statement of this is my I've never first been date. A, yes, I've never been a girlfriend before. <laughs> I hope I'm good at it. I'm sorry. That's yeah. Every person who is not experienced when it comes to relationships thinks that, but you don't mm-hmm. say it out loud. <laughs> Yeah, unless you can just turn to the camera that's not there and do it in a cheeky flea bag kind of way. Right. There is so only is one like, time something oh God, similar this, has this been movie accomplished is well. Oh my god, this this series is flea bag, the Disney Channel version. <laughs> no. There is only one time that a similar line, although it was not exactly the same, has been done, and it was done very well. Um, and if I'm going to try and remember to bring it up when we get to that movie because we're actually going to cover it. But right away, yeah, I understand, you know, going back to uh, the rules of sequels, the second one is always supposed to be the darker one. And right away, Laura Jean is, I don't know if she's trying to self-sabotage or just... This complete lack of confidence, which I may or may, or may not uh, understand. Uh, but it's like she's wanting to self-sabotage. Because on their first date, she's already worried about them breaking up. And Peter's like, you don't do that. <laughs> At least so, not out loud. A question I made note of to ask you is, is along that line, do you think Laura Jean's insecurities are valid? Yes and no, because the the structure of this movie seems to be Laura Jean seems sees this relationship as doomed from day one. And Peter is all but... He's not necessarily bending over backwards for her, but he is trying to say, you know, like every, every time something is going slightly wrong that would be a red flag, he has an explanation, and he may not always get to that explanation in the best way, like whenever he's super late to meet her at the coffee shop and couldn't text uh, because the coach has no texting during practice rule, which that's not a specific thing to uh, just one coach. That's just a rule. <laughs> you leave, you're not supposed to have your uh, phones on the practice field because the worst, and you know, they might get damaged, and then the, you know, distractions, and you know, all that. So, I mean, he could have texted on the way there, like, "Hey, I'm on my way," instead of leaving her hanging. But the pro- Laura Jean's real insecurities is not necessarily with Peter, but with Jen, you know, Peter's ex, and that point is finally got does. They get to that at the end of the movie. But she's so busy trying to compare that her her relationship with Peter to the relationship between Jen and Peter and, you know, not getting what he would do for Jen. 
even though Peter's like, but you are not a girl like Jen. Like, he would do flashy things for her at Valentine's Day. And instead, he does something which I think is very appropriate and actually, you know, and I'm struggling. I think very romantic is what I'm trying to say. But he takes Laura Jean back to the place where, you know, they literally ran into each other. And that's where he gives her the Valentine's. Like, that's appropriate for, you know, not doing the acapella singing shit that uh, they put in this movie for some reason. Right. Like, I... I think the kind of the crux of her insecurity is something she says and something I deeply understand and relate to um, is that for her being new and inexperienced in relationships, everything that is her first time in this relationship, her first date, her first time doing this, her first Valentine's, all of that for him, he's experienced with somebody else. So I do right. how that can be a little bit, could make her a little insecure, but I think she doesn't give him enough credit. Like, honestly, one of the things I love about this movie mm-hmm. is Peter's a really great boyfriend. In fact, I think for someone who is exper- inexperienced in relationships, he's like mm-hmm. a perfect boyfriend because right. he's, he's very good at it. Mm-hmm. And here's... Um... <sighs> I understand her insecurities about, you know, the first time with, uh, you know, she's doing something with him. He's already done it with someone else. But I was in a relationship with a, you know, a girl who had been married before. And not once did I compare myself to her ex. She did. Uh, but And I was getting brownie points whenever <laughs> she was doing that. But I was, I was not worried about you know, what had happened prior, I was worried about what was happening from now forward, you know, and worried for the lack of a better word. And, and I under, but I also understand Laura Jean's inner turmoil, I guess. Yeah. It's just an example of inner security, like her insecurities, the being something she brought into the relationship that is going to damage the relationship. And because everybody, right, everybody brings baggage into a relationship. And I think it's really difficult not to, but she, (laughs) tell me if you think this is wrong, but I think she's a worse communicator than Peter. Like she has a very difficult time expressing how she's feeling or what's going on in her head. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, at least in the sense of some things. Yeah, and, and but also they're teenagers. That is oh, that's one fair. thing we do have to remember that you know, because there are times Peter's not the best communicator there, and there are a lot of times Laura Jean is not the best communicator. But they're also kids; they're not supposed to be perfect at this. Right. But, um, so, one of my early favorite moments is they go to Korean New Year uh, with uh, her mom's, <laughs> their mom's family, which uh, I wrote down in my notes, I love Laura Jean's cousin, 
the Korean Aubrey Plaza. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently the character's name is Haven. I never caught that in the movie, but I just love that she's just on her phone, droll, dry, very hard to impress, and the fact that her cousin was the girl in the sex tape she saw, and she was just like, that's cool. (laughs) I was just like, oh God, if they... Like I, I never want a Parks and Rec reboot with new, with a new cast, but if they had to, they have to cast that girl as April because she was perfect. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I that never even occurred to me. That is one of my favorite scenes too, though. I mean, I like, I like the emphasis, and I think it's a neat part of the storyline, like how much emphasis their dad puts on making sure that they understand their culture. Yeah. And, uh, you know, their mom's history and stuff like that. So, yeah. And honestly, that's some of the stuff I think I would have liked more of in the, uh, in these movies, you know, a a little bit more of that. Like, I'm not trying to wish this into an existence, but a prequel about the mom and the dad might be kind of cool. Yeah, that could be interesting. Well, that's one thing. Okay, that's one thing I think this, we can talk about it now, actually, that this story is severely lacking is some Mm. background that really bugs me. Like, yeah, (laughs) she's she's definitely um, one of the best, one of the most well-written characters. And I will say this, I'm going to pay this movie another compliment. So one of the things that I think that this storyline I like about it benefits from is the fact that it is a trilogy. So these characters that are side characters that are not very well developed and that is a weakness in the first movie Mm -hmm. are now getting more screen time and more development because you have these sequels. Uh, Chris is like one of the best examples of that because I actually really like the little storyline that happens between Chris and uh, Trevor. Yeah, which is basically a, a blink and you miss it kind of story. Right, but it just gives. A I did bit watch this twice, and I didn't. <laughs> yeah, like I watched this twice, and I the first time I didn't catch that it was Trevor that she was kind of you know crushing on. Also, uh, Chris in this movie is kind of severely downplayed in her weirdness from the first one. Like, it was, because in the uh, first one, it seemed like she was, like, you know, on ecstasy all the time and going to raves until three in the morning before school. And in this one, she just, like, has one line that's a joke about burying a dead body in the woods. Right, which, because this movie had um, other complicated issues to deal with, and I, I... I don't know. For all for all of the flaws in this movie and in the first one, which I still really like, I I have to I have to give it a compliment that it is difficult when you're dealing with something as basic as a romance story mm-hmm. and you want to turn it into a trilogy to find three credible conflicts that hold up. And that you can make an entire movie off of so that you can still have that romantic comedy structure. The tropes we're all used to of, you know, they get together, then they have some type of conflict that breaks them apart. And then they have the third act climax where they resolve everything and they get back together. To do that three times 
in a way that makes sense for a relationship where you're developing as it goes is not is not an easy thing to do. So I, there might be, you know, I mean, this particular storyline might be a little bit a little bit weak in the fact that it, there's not a ton of background. But on the other hand, I think that um, I think they do a decent job with kind of I don't know uh, low stakes. <laughs> <laughs> The lower the better. Um, so, I mean, the main conflict in this movie is does she love Peter or does she love John Ambrose? Because, like you said, he just randomly shows up to volunteer. But there's another love story blooming between uh, their dad and their neighbor, Mrs. Rothschild. And I love how that becomes Kitty's new project from a minute because as they get close to valentine's day she's like i'm gonna send her a valentine's day through dad you know and it's a card made with glitter and it's like so obviously not from the dad at all (laughs) yes i love that kitty never stops matchmaking and she's very protective of her matchmaking as well because it's clear that she is firmly on team peter Oh yeah, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're getting together because uh, uh, a treehouse that they all used to hang out as kids um, is getting torn down. So they dig, go all get back together to dig up this um, time capsule. They dig, they buried, and John Ambrose asked for uh, what was it, peanut butter, cu- chocolate cupcakes? Yeah, and as she's making them. <laughs> Kitty's just like. Um, Peter prefers salted caramel. caramel. <laughs> right. Like, um, Jesus. <laughs> no. Uh, I, I think it's kind of funny because I could see how this these movies really resonate with teenagers and in particular mm-hmm. teenage girls. But it was kind of it was kind of fun to watch us from an adult perspective, knowing I would have had some of the same thoughts as Laura Jean, particularly when it comes to when it comes to her trying to figure out, like, sort out her feelings between John Ambrose and Peter, because she hits she hits the nail on the head of what her issue is, sort of, and she just skates right past it, which is when she's at the party and she's um, talking to Lucas. She says she was like, well, maybe things are, you know, just easier with with John Ambrose because we're friends. And then she's like, it's basically like she hit her exit and she was about to exit. And then she just kept going down the freeway and entirely missed the point. Yeah. Um, and this film had, had the first film had several hallucinations where um because i kept comparing the first movie to fight club uh, and we'll get back to the movie comparisons because i turned on this movie in 32 seconds <laughs> when i started watching it and i'll get to that in a second but uh she had one hallucination conversation between herself and peter who wasn't there and john ambrose who wasn't there but the hallucinatory peter was just like when you send out those letters who is the most important the most important when those letters got sent out was Josh, because the whole movie was she was in love with Josh, and then she had to avoid, and then she had to avoid that for the entire time. Which, where is Josh? 
Right. My only assumption is that he would have went to college. Um, well, they're in, in the same school year. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Yeah. I don't know. He's not uh, I'm assuming, irrelevant. <laughs> well, uh, two things. Number one, I'm assuming that Josh was not invited back because, one, he was busy filming the uh, Happy Death Day sequel. And number two, he got in trouble for some tweets he made. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, he made jokes about, uh, he made some not so positive tweets about Black Lives Matter and I think about a school shooting and he had to go on the uh, Twitter apology tour. <laughs> but um, he's still, he, yeah, he's still working. Uh, he's in a mo- uh, movie that we're going to get to in a few years because oh. co- <laughs> the co-stars Catherine Heisel. Oh boy! Oh boy! We, I don't know. We might push that one up. We don't have to do them in order. We made this shit up. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking, uh, you know, it, I compared the first film a lot to Fight Club, and what was the other movie that uh, Sixteen Candles? Wasn't that the other big inspiration for that uh-huh. movie as well? Okay, so right away, this movie when I hit play. This movie started with another 80s movie, homage, ripoff, singing, and then he kissed me as the intro from Adventures in Babysitting, and I immediately paused the movie to text you angrily. Right, but I do love, like, I like that this movie calls itself out, right? It's not... And, And the best character in the movie did it. Like, right. really, adventures in babysitting, and that's why we love Kitty. It's true, Which, and she's kind of like the I don't know, the conscience or the brain of the storyline, yeah. Um, and uh, she's also like vicious. Like, there were times she gave Laura Jean looks, I'm like, oh god, that looks like our friend Novelly because <laughs> I've gotten those looks. Granted, I was probably making her give me those looks but you know I mean I give this movie a lot of slack because it clearly knows what it is right it's not it's not trying to be anything that it's not it's just telling a simple story and in a overly complex way (laughs) well that's fair yeah so I think we should talk about oh oh, go go ahead no no go ahead no you go ahead Mine's completely changing the subject. <laughs> okay. Um, and I think it's I think it's held together a lot on the uh, the talent of the actors and their their natural chemistry, but mm-hmm. all romantic comedies and romance stories are essentially the same story told in different ways, and this is exactly that. This is the same story, but it's told in a unique way. Yeah. Speaking of the talent, can we talk about the second best character in this movie? If you don't, uh, if you don't say Stormy, then you're going to be wrong. I was going to say Stormy because when Holland Taylor showed up, I was just like, oh, "Holy shit!" I was not expecting to see that. Uh, but Stormy was uh, is one of the residents of the. Again, nicest nursing or, or retirement home I've ever seen. 
It's like where the rich go whenever they decide they want to live in a retirement community instead of their own home. But um, Stormy was, uh, you know, friends with Margo uh, whenever Margo volunteered there. And I loved how Lara Jean's just like, oh, you were a flight attendant. And she's like, that is some PC woke crap. I was a stewardess for Pan Am. We we served uh, smoked oysters and shook gin martinis at 30,000 feet. And I'm like, <laughs> I love this woman. She had me um, and officially sold when she offered the 16-year-old Laura Jean alcohol and was completely unfazed. <laughs> yeah. So, well, when I was young, 18 was the drinking age. You're almost there. <laughs> no, I love Stormy. I love Holland Taylor is usually the best uh, thing about anything she's in. Because uh, I detest Two and a Half Men, but she was great in that show. She, yeah, uh, I. Oh, go ahead. Uh, uh, she played uh, the mother of uh, one of the characters on the L Word, so she popped up there every now and then. Uh, she's part, I think she's still partners with. Uh, uh, what's her name from American Horror Story that clearly Ryan Murphy has some dirt on because he keeps casting her. Um, oh, why am I blinking on her name? She was in that New Year's Eve movie. Sarah Paulson? That's it. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I do think that her being in this film lended some credibility to it, but what I kind of liked about it is she was like, she was a better version for me of the purpose that Josh and Chris were supposed to serve but failed to serve in movie one which is being like the best friend slash advice giver to the main character and she did a much much better job of it well Chris gives some advice to Laura Jean in this movie too about making she knows how to start her own engine Right, yeah. Yeah, that's about the extent of Chris's advice. Um, yeah. No, but and... <laughs> I'm not, here, here's the thing. Chris is not wrong. No, no, she's not. Um, and Stormy's, you know, her advice is kind of like mired in her whole um, awesome, wise, older probably drunk most of the time persona but I think Laura Jean kind of benefited from that because she tends to overthink everything so she's very balanced out by a character that is the opposite Mm -hmm. well and you know when she meets Stormy she's like let me give you the tour because the uh, was it Danielle? The director is only going to show you where the first aid kit is, and and oh my god, she is a worthless character. The person that they're supposed to report to, right? And she absolutely serves no no purpose at all. Which they mm-hmm. could have. So here's another flaw. <laughs> they could have done something different with this storyline that they wasted on things like characters like Danielle. Yeah. John Ambrose and Laura Jean are uh, volunteers. 
So they don't get to make decisions like we're going to take a garden party and we're going to turn it into the, the, um, was it the star ball? Yeah. Something like that. Something like that, that, you know, used to be years ago. They don't get as volunteers. They don't just get to make the decision that we're going to take a simple garden party and turn it into a ball that requires a whole bunch of extra effort. But it would have been cooler if it had been their idea instead of just something they got thrown into doing. Right. I get it. Uh, yeah. I mean, their whole, their, their entire job is to clean out the ballroom, which is a bunch of potted plants, and then, and maybe the darkest line of the movie, uh, the belongings of residents who died with, and their family didn't come collect it. It's like, good God. <laughs> Here's a room full of depression, kids. Have fun. But. Yeah, I just... There's there's elements of this storyline that is, like, very pieced together for the sake of, oh, we have to... We have to somehow get Laura Jean and John Ambrose to spend time together so that we can create this conflict between her and Peter. But yeah. it's just not very well, well thought out. Yeah, and and extending that, like, getting their friends involved, like, to go uh, clean out the treehouse, and suddenly uh, the fact that uh, John Ambrose brought pizza is now a threat to Peter's manhood. It's like, really, dude? Just some fucking pizza. <laughs> well, no, I think that's, like, okay, I don't mean this to be sexist, but it is an observation oh. I have made. And I'm going to caveat this with not all men are like this. But mm. since Peter is essentially a caricature and he's <clears throat> a little bit stereotypical, I don't think that that fight obviously had anything to do with the fact that John Ambrose bought the pizza. It was entirely about the fact that Lord Jean didn't tell him about John Ambrose. Oh, and, no, it, it was. It was right? 100% I, about that. <laughs> It's just, he kept going back to the pizza like he was Keanu Reeves and <laughs> Knock Knock, literally buried in his backyard screaming it was free fucking pizza. Like, right. Sorry, and, I just referenced a movie no one should see. <laughs> I just, and, and I've noticed that some men have a tendency to misdirect their anger just a little bit um, towards We do not. <laughs> that they're not actually angry about. Yeah. <laughs> Well, to, to jump to Peter's defense slightly, he kind of had a right to be a little mad, and also so did John Ambrose, because Largie never told John Ambrose she and Peter were dating. And that's just kind of a courtesy, I think. Right. They completely, uh, she kind of completely screwed this up. But mm -hmm. I do think it's a little bit trumped by the fact that... So this is the thing I wanted to talk about. Um, remember the moment in the first movie where they made out in the hot tub? Yes. And I said, and the, everything that happened that was... is going right, to be much more significant, which you find out in this movie. The fact that Peter didn't tell her that he knew that Jen filmed that and released it. Now, the thing that uh, about... The first movie that you were t like when that time at the hotel was going to be more significant. I kind I kind of think that the explanation of he was there to talk, be a friend to her, 
um, because her parents are going through a divorce is nice, but this is also one of those moments that happens in these kind of movies. Like, if you would just communicate like some fucking adults, <laughs> you know, and just tell people, like, you know, I I know Peter was probably trying to be protective of Jen in that in that moment as a friend, but since he was kind of dating Laura Jean, I think he had the right to be like, by the way, Jen's going through some shit, so I'm also going to be there for her. Right, and I mean, I can I can cut the storyline some slack because they are in fact not adults, so you know they're doing exactly what they should be doing, which is acting like teenagers. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, kind of coupled with the fact that I understand where Lord Jean's anger comes from, that he was not intent. He was there in the hot tub to meet Jin, which, mm-hmm. by the way, makes so much more sense. Because if you if you just watch the first movie in a bubble, the question mm-hmm. becomes, why is he down in that hot tub alone? Why is nobody there with him? This is a very odd situation. Well... I, I will kind of like pick some nits with that just by saying if you're why are you meeting in a hot tub to talk about you know heavy shit can't you just I'm sure that hotel has some kind of coffee shop or something you could go to and just talk when did it have to be the hot tub well my understanding um is that he, him and Laura Jean were not together yet, so he actually intended to get back together with Jen. Mm. They were supposed to meet in the hot tub, they were going to work things out, and then Laura Jean showed up. Okay. I mean, that's at least my understanding of it. And so I get I get where Laura Jean's like, especially since it's the, the exact thing that preys on her insecurities. Yeah. So question for you mm-hmm. do we sh- do we ship the dad and Ms. Rothschild absolutely um, I yeah. like that it's a little bit of a secondary story and that um, their I dad gets a little use, bit more time I honestly could use a little bit more of it because first of all I, I'm apparently a John Corbett fan and didn't realize this because <laughs> <laughs> every time he pops up I'm like hey dad's back and maybe that's just because I'm an old white guy. But it's like, you know, you get to see myself represented in the movie. <laughs> but, no, I, and I like that actress. She pops up in a lot of stuff. She's kind of a character actress, so. And I already know she's in the third movie, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I do. I like it. It's a, another mm-hmm. aspect of the story. And, um Unlike the kind of main story going on here, it's handled much better, and we could have yeah. used more of it to fill in some of those gaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and there's and nothing wrong with the the plot of this movie. I don't think it's just kind of the way it's handled. Yeah. Well, and even during Korean New Year, like you know, his uh, I'm going to say this in the coldest way possible, but his dead wife's family is asking him if he's dating anyone. As, right. And, and it's almost in a, hey, poking you with a stick. Are you going to, I don't know, be happy again? Or are you just going to keep mourning? Right. 
I mean, um, and not that, and not that there's wrong, not that it's wrong if he did decide to spend the rest of his life mourning that one person. But you know, everyone's journey is their own. Um, dug myself out of an unnecessary hole <laughs> that didn't exist. So I will credit this movie with something. Um, mm-hmm. So. It took it took a uh, I don't even know what you want to call it like kind of a theme or a cliche running through this entire movie, which is that they don't want to break each other's hearts, which I think is mm-hmm. a pretty um, naive concept that a lot of adults yeah. watching this movie critically would have an issue with because the the concept that that's not gonna happen mm-hmm. is not only not very practical but also, um, if you're not sort of willing to have your heart broken, you're not, the yeah. stakes are too low, right? Um, yeah. So also, I love the ending, right? I love the ending, and I think it's better than the first movie's ending. Um, mm-hmm. it, I think it did a good job bringing that full circle, where they actually yeah. came to that realization. Mm, that she really does love Peter and wants to be with Peter. Although this may be uh, kind of petty and and uh, negative a little bit, but I, I I like the fact that they're together in the movies. But once Lara Jean goes off to college, they're not going to last, and then she's going to find the doctor or the she's going to find her guy in college, not in high school. That's my prediction. You lied. You watched the third movie. Did that actually happen in the no, third movie? No, not the whole thing happened, but the entire third movie is about college applications, their decision mm-hmm. of where to go to college, and how they're going to stay together during college. All right. I got a little bit of that from the trailer, and then it's also the sister's uh, big adventure overseas. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I'm I'm looking forward to Margot being back, and... Uh, more more screen time for Kitty. Give Kitty her own movie, you cowards. <laughs> I know, they're totally burying the best part of the film. Um, right? she's, she's got, what, maybe seven minutes of screen time in this entire thing, and the rest of it's Laura Jean's mopey shit? <laughs> okay, so I'm going to challenge you with something. Okay. okay, I'm going to ask you what you liked about this film. But you cannot talk about Kitty. Well, I think it's already established that my favorite character is Kitty. Um, so here's where I have been kind of severely downplaying some feelings I had about this movie. I just want you to know that right now. Uh, one thing we haven't really talked about, um, and it's kind of our rule that eventually we get to it, usually in this segment, is the music. When I went, and I'm glad you don't follow me on Letterboxd because you would have gotten the, the answer to all the big questions, uh, you know, then and there because I put my star rating on it. But I gave this movie one whole star specifically because there was a really cool cover of my favorite New Order song, Age of Consent. And I was just like, okay, this movie one is winning me right now in this particular moment. But the music is really good. And, 
since I can't mention the youngest sister in this movie anymore, like I do love some of the interactions with the family. I love Holland Taylor in this role. Uh, I wish basically the part of this, and I did kind of, Oh, the scene between Laura Jean and Jim, whenever, whenever they kind of, come to their under like whenever Laura Jean basically is like look my my whole entire problem with Peter is not is just in my head because I'm jealous of you like I haven't gotten over you and she's just like Peter is crazy about you and they kind of make up because Jen has been was easily the most hateable person in the first film and in this one it's just like she shows up for two to three scenes to be a bitch and then one scene to kind of be like, you un- by that point, you understand now that character better. So I kind of like how that right. wrapped up. And uh, I liked the part in their first date whenever they went and wrote the wishes on the thing and sent them up into the sky and it was their initials. That, that I, I thought that was really cool. Definitely well filmed. So, so what do you got that we haven't talked about? Really, I think the main thing I like can be kind of summed up in the fact that this is a trilogy. So, don't get me wrong, I liked the first movie on its own, but I think that this is far better because it is a series, so you get things like a character arc with Jin that you would not have otherwise gotten. You get to learn more about each of the side characters that in each individual movie themselves are not very well written, but when you take mm-hmm. them as a whole, which is probably it could be it could be similar from the books, becomes much better. So God forbid you had to do it this way. I think this this is much it's a much better movie if you're just doing like a six hour binge watch, right? As opposed to each individual movie on its own. Possibly, I also would not have binged this for six straight hours had we not been doing this for the show. Right. <laughs> so just- yeah, this this is my uh, this is my lesser X Men sequels. <laughs> to, for, like if I was Stewart, I'm now playing. So, all right. So, okay. what? All right. So I'm going to ask the question of is the, is there anything about this film you didn't like that yeah. we haven't already said? To you know. not anything we haven't touched on really. I mean, obviously, there's some. St- my main thing being there's some storyline flaws. I feel like this movie is just a little bit too much of a coincidence. And mm-hmm. most of what I want is more background information. I want more character development from John Ambrose. And um, more background that is severely yeah. lacking from this movie. Yeah. Oh, and another... I want to leave a gap here because there's something I don't like that I have to tell you about but I want you to be able to cut it out if you don't think we can leave it in. Okay. I don't know if you noticed, but in the very first film, uh, there's a little montage of all the guys she wrote letters to. Mm. And in that movie, John Ambrose is not the same person. And he's not the same person because he's very much white. (laughs) Yeah. And that really bugs me that they did not take the time to use the same guy. Like, 
use the use this guy. I liked this guy. I thought he did a great job. And maybe they hadn't found him yet, and that's the issue. But I, I'm I, I think <laughs> I think that's entirely the issue. Is well, and also they didn't. Maybe Netflix may not have known necessarily that the first one was going to be successful enough to do the other two sequels because <laughs> they they filmed this one back back to back. So yeah, just stick some kid in there, and then. And then it, once you know you're going to be able to find, you know, whenever whenever you know you're going to be able to make part two, then go look for the kid to play John Rambo because I wanted the back ethnicities. Yeah, but it didn't matter because also that entire scene never happened in this film because in the first film John Ambrose shows up at their door, in this one she he shows up at the nursing home or whatever it is, <laughs> so. And I personally, you know, think that the Jordan Ambrose for this film, or the John Ambrose, his real name's Jordan. Um, I thought he was good. I thought he did a great job. I did too. Mm-hmm. I just wish they, so, yeah. they had had the foresight and had figured out who they were going to cast if they cast anybody and <laughs> used the same person. Right? It's a minor thing. It doesn't matter. And yeah, I'm but surprised it's... I noticed, but. It was the time when we watched it together at at uh, our friend's house that it, mm. it, I first noticed it because I had seen the second movie by this point, so I knew who he was. And then when they flashed the picture of the guy, I was like, oh, that's not him. Yeah. Um, but this isn't the first film or, you know, to do this. So, I mean, it's fine. <laughs> it's true. It's not a big deal, but it is something that bugs yeah. me. All right, so strip the band-aid off. Sammy, did you survive this fucking movie? <laughs> yeah, I survived it. I mean, is it a masterpiece of cinematic art? No, of course not. Um, will I watch it again? Of yeah, you're going possibly. To. <laughs> yeah, possibly. It's not my favorite of the trilogy, so it's probably not the one I would be most likely to go back to. Um mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I survived it. Okay. I think the real question is, did you survive it? Okay, we need to talk about Letterboxd ratings for a moment. Or just my rating system in general, because as you know, my rating system is to not be trusted. This is true. Giving, yeah, giving the Godfather and Sleepaway Camp drink uh, the same ratings. So, as a critic, I've honestly made it my goal to look for the things in every film I watch, no matter what I was going to see, to look for what I liked and to look for what worked and what didn't. And to get a certain rating, you have to have held my attention, been at least halfway kind of competent or entertaining enough to not make me throw things. And you can't have something big and ridiculous that undercuts the entire film. I'm building in that role after another movie that's on the drinking game. (laughs) So, with that in mind, I gave this film the same rating that I gave two other films that were savaged by critics, even though they have their defenders. But this movie, I I got the same rating as Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, and the Entourage movie. 
Oh, and okay. I've made it clear, and I've made it clear that at least one of those stars is for the Age of Consent tour uh, cover. I give this a three and a half out of five star rating. That's I not give bad. the first one a I give the first one a two. I I couldn't believe it. I actually enjoy this one more than the first film, even though there are major, major, massive flaws in this film. I was surprised I actually survived this one. I, I liked this one, even though it doesn't have enough kitty in it. Yay! Well, I think then, if that's the case, which is good to know, you have a fair shot of surviving the third one. Yeah, well, and it's from the same director, because uh, this uh, this movie is the direct the directorial debut of Michael Piminari. Uh He's done a lot of, like, behind-the-scenes work. Like, he is a director of photography, but he shot two and three, and because they filmed them back-to-back. So, I kind of... And... It maintained one. It, it maintained the original screenwriter, uh, and they bought it, brought in another guy that worked on Lethal Weapon Four to polish the dialogue or or something. He got he did enough work to get credit. So, so I am kind of curious to see where it goes from here. Now, when the test is settled and all is said and done, am I ever going to revisit this trilogy? Probably no. not. Probably not. But do I have regrets about it at this point? No. Am I still going to go into part three kicking and screaming? Absolutely. Because it's me. Well, I'm going to consider this a win. Yeah. Consider your streak is still fine. <laughs> you have you have yet to wholly offend me. But as for next week, who knows what's going to happen because we're once again doing a film neither of us have seen. And we're, do, we're continuing John's abusing his privilege on the show to talk about movies for his end of 2021 list. But uh, <laughs> the movie uh, Nomadland just hit Hulu. And it's also up for a bunch of Golden Globes and possible Oscar contention. And it's got Francis McDormand from Fargo in it. So we're once again uh, venturing into unknown territory. But I'm personally excited. <laughs> Well, stay tuned for my opinions on Fargo, where yeah. John, for the this got to be added to the bingo list every time you ask for resumes for a new co-host. Yeah. Well, but we're but before we get to Norm Nomad Land and Miss Fargo, we have our uh, February Manly Movie of the Month coming up next, and I can't wait. <laughs> but we're oh, I can. Uh, if you <laughs> oh, you're gonna be fine. But we're talking about easily one of the best films in 1997. We'll have the argument on whether it was or wasn't uh, on the episode. But uh, in case you haven't listened to the last couple of episodes, when I've been te- as I've been teasing this, we are talking about Paul Thomas and Paul Thomas Anderson's sophomore film Boogie Nights, starring literally half of Hollywood. You know, I just I would like to be in everybody's thoughts this week. Uh, I you know. I don't know how this is going to go, but we're going to find out. Yep. And uh, depending on how it goes, you, you can reach out uh, and send your resumes to survivingchickflicks at gmail.com, as well as any suggestions, temp, tips, or you know, criticisms, thoughts, well wishes, whatever you want to e- email us. Just email me. I'm lonely. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter 
doesn't do any good. I haven't been doing what I said I was going to do with them. But you can follow Sammy on the TikTok and uh, Instagram account. She's doing good over there. Um, do you have anything you want to plug this week? You know, um, I'm going to go ahead and plug something I think we can both agree on, which is that everyone should check out the Trial of the Chicago 7. Agreed. Uh, yeah, you uh, told me you finally got around to seeing what almost was my number one film of 2020, and uh, one little Danish movie uh, snuck in at the last minute and dethroned it. But yeah, I'm, I'm so I was so happy that you liked it and that you agree that Sasha Baron Cohen was amazing in that movie. Uh, yeah, he absolutely was, and that that is coming yeah. from someone who's not his biggest fan. Look, I... neither of us are his biggest fan. Uh, whenever he's doing his Borat shtick. We least. will have this discussion more than once when we go through social network and we go through Molly's game. Um, and it's just going to be a straight hour of me gushing over the brilliance of Aaron Sorkin. But it's it's almost <laughs> always going to be a win with me. It just is. It's almost always going to be a win. I love the fact that you're this Aaron Sorkin stan and you still haven't seen like literally half of his output. Meanwhile, I, I've seen it all. Well, except for Malice. I still haven't seen Malice. But as I've been told, that's really fine that we don't see that one. And Sorkin was just brought in as a polisher on that one, really. Yeah, it's just that everything yeah. that I have seen that he's done, I love. Yeah, and I'm glad that you're continuing uh, the West Wing after I poked you with a stick on that one. I am. It's for whatever yeah. reason. It's it's one of those things that I don't know why this is. I'm never like motivated or excited to sit down and watch it, but once I'm watching it, I love it. So and it's, you see, yeah. It, well, West Wing is one of West Wing, like Bob's Burgers, like The Simpsons. Those are three shows that I could just sit down and just watch, and you know, it's a—it's my cliche that should be added to the dr- drinking game at this point. It's just white noise to me. Like it's just <laughs> there is a comfort. All right, so well, folks, thank you for joining us uh, on this episode, Sammy. Thank you for once again putting up with these shenanigans, and uh, hopefully, our next episode is not your last episode. <laughs> I don't really want to scramble at the last minute. <laughs> but until next, until I get, until Sunday, thank y'all. Surviving Chick Flicks is created and hosted by John Baggett and Samantha McDaniel. Our audio engineer and editor is Cody McLean. For an ad-free version of the show, please visit patreon.com slash surviving chick flicks. $5 a month gets you an ad-free version of the show as well as our manly movie of the month. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. All opinions are that of the hosts and no copyright infringements are intended. Surviving Chick Flicks is a Circle of Jug production, all rights reserved. Cute story. A little PG-13, but cute.